One, two, three, four. Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! Screen time! It's my screen time too! Screen time! Screen time! Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids, Tony is 11, and Libby and Nate are 7. And I have two kids, Jay is 5, and Kenny is 2. They are pretty stinking adorable, aren't they? They sure are, and since it's a holiday review episode, I just need to plug my son Nate's ability to play sight read Christmas carols and sing along on the piano. It's so adorable. I haven't videotaped it yet and I really need to do that. You're breaking my heart with the cuteness. That is adorable. He has the type of high-pitched voice that would really fit in with a boys choir. Oh, if only singing weren't a super spreader event. I know it. How about your kids? Mine is actually not Christmas related, but I'm super glad that it's an episode where it's just the two of us because this is kind of, this is a long one. So, you know, before you have kids, there are some things that you think you just know for sure about yourself and the kind of parent you'll be and the kind of things that you believe in. Mm -hmm. So Jay just finished his first ever soccer season this past Sunday and everybody on the team got a participation trophy that is pretty standard and jay is so proud of it it's the first trophy he's ever gotten ever since he was two years old and we first walked into the dance studio where he dances they keep all their trophies just like in the lobby it seriously looks like like scrooge mcduck's vault so he's seen those trophies and it has been his passionate desire to have a trophy of his own and I've explained to him that like he can win a trophy once he gets old enough to start competing in something so this is his first trophy and it's a participation trophy I really thought I was going to be one of those parents that's like oh participation trophies are responsible for the coddling of an entire generation but what do you do in the moment? It's not like I'm going to storm onto the field and like rip the trophy away from my kid and be like, fine, everyone else on the team can get a trophy, but not my kid because trophies are for winners. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if it's bringing him joy, I think you just roll with it. It definitely is. He's so proud and that is adorable. I like that the dance studio, though, you have to actually earn a trophy. Oh, for sure. That's great. On that note, should we move on to screen time in the news? Let's do it. All right, guys. Holiday movie season. We're so excited. This episode drops right before Christmas, so it's perfect timing. We read uh, an article from November 25th from Vulture by Rebecca Alter called, Oh No, There Are 82 New Christmas Movies This Year. (laughs) And in the article, uh, Miss Alter divides the new Christmas movies into 18 different categories based on their plots. And I don't need to read all 18 
for you because I'm sure you can guess, listeners, we've all seen them. But they're things like, who needs the crown when you have fake royals? Or the opposite of Christmas is land developers. Or let's pretend date until we for real date at Christmas. Really the only standout segments that made this year different from other years was the category called All the Networks Finally Agreed That Gay People Exist Even at Christmas. So I guess yay for the holiday movie industry. And nothing else was new. I've looked at a few lists of holiday movies because it turns out I like reading about holiday movies more than I like actually watching holiday movies and this was by far the funniest article about them her you know it's a couple sentence synopsis of each one and she's a really funny writer had you seen any of these movies I have not I do want to watch the Dolly Parton one I want to watch the Kristen Stewart one I want to watch the one you told me about that stars a character who graduates from you know, University of Wisconsin-Madison's iSchool. Uh-huh. <laughs> she doesn't call it the iSchool, though, because that's how much research they did for the role. Of course. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so here's my big question, because the movie that we're covering for today's show is on this list. As is another kids' Christmas movie, Christmas Chronicles 2, the sequel to the one we covered a couple years ago. But other than that, there are no other kids' movies on the list. They're all grown-up romances. And there have been other new kids' holiday movies. The less I say about the horrible Elf on the Shelf movie I saw the other day, the better. So what does it take to make the cut as a kids' movie to be counted on one of these compendia of new holiday movies is it just the fact that they were on netflix i don't know i think this was geared more towards the adult grown-up viewer of romantic holiday specials exactly which is why even including the kids movies seemed a little bizarre to me it's like the kids movies have to reach a certain caliber to make it onto the list while the grown-up movies can just be hot garbage right does christmas chronicles have a sort of romantic plotline. I mean, it has Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, which yeah, I guess I think is that's why maybe. Yeah, is appealing to some people. Um, all right, anything else on the latest crop of Christmas movies? No, I just have a little bit of follow up from the last episode in which I talked about how we get the Star Wars Lego advent calendars for my kids and they get up super early, which in regular times is great because then they have no problem getting ready for school. Now that school is at home, the early morning hours are no longer mine because I like to get up early and drink coffee by myself. And now I don't get to do that (laughs) until after Christmas, I guess. Oh, but it's fine. They're only young ones. It's true. You will look back on these moments fondly. The worst thing to hear when you're in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. Hopefully this will be the only year they do online school. <laughs> oh, my home. gosh. I got to knock on some wood. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Oh, so <laughs> let's move on to a happier topic. We are reviewing Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey. It premiered November 13th this year on Netflix. It's rated PG. It runs a lengthy two hours. It's directed and written by David E. Talbert, who has had an extremely successful theater career. He's won NAACP Best Playwright of the Year and Trailblazer Awards. 
and a New York Literary Award for Best Playwright of the Year. I didn't recognize his film credits. It includes a star-studded cast like Forrest Whitaker, Keegan-Michael Key, Felicia Rashad, Annika Noni-Rose. And the premise of Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, is that the most precious creation of an amazing inventor and toy maker named Geronicus Jangle is stolen by his jealous apprentice and Jangle's granddaughter has to set things right. We picked it because the trailer made it look really good. Mm -hmm. The choreography in the trailer is amazing. This is part of like Netflix's Representation Matters content. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I saw that when I clicked play. Um, holiday movies are notorious for their lack of diversity, so this is an um, it's about time moment. And Katie, you didn't think that Christmas Chronicles two looked like any good at all. It's true. I watched the trailer and I was not excited to see it. Of course, in the meantime, we've watched it and it was fine. But I'm still glad that we chose this one to cover. Yeah, totally. I haven't watched Christmas Chronicles two, probably will, but this was a great one. I mean, if you're going to establish Christmas Chronicles as like an annual holiday watch with your kids, I would support that. I think that including Christmas Chronicles 2 in that annual tradition is completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, back to Jingle Jangle. Let's go over the basic concept and plot. First, the biggest question, did you like it? I liked it a lot. Agreed. It was yeah. so much fun. It was really nice to see a Christmas story that wasn't like a Santa origin story or all about Santa or essentially a reimagining of a story we already knew. There's definitely a place for that. Last year we covered Claus, Klaus, Claus, right? I think it's Claus. Okay, Claus, which we thought was really good and was a story about how Santa came to be. But it was just so refreshing to not know going in what was going to happen at all. Yeah, and this was more about the more nebulous Christmas theme of belief, mm-hmm. which I think for more religious people is more about faith. And I really like I really liked that aspect of the plot and the I don't know. I wouldn't call it really a fable, but It didn't necessarily even have to be a Christmas movie because it was just more about, like you said, believing in your own abilities, believing a little bit in magic, which Mm -hmm. is one of my few like nitpicks of the plot because the story centers around a famous toy inventor, but he's not just a good inventor. He also has like the magical ability to like come up with formulas that have nothing to do with reality. And I kind of wish that Geronicus and his daughter and his granddaughter could have just been really good inventors. Without the magic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it makes for a great final scene. That's true. Did you think, because the plot wasn't one that we already knew, did you think it was easy enough to follow? I thought it was pretty easy to follow. So it has, it's like book-ended by Felicia Rashad's character reading to her grandchildren. And so you don't know from the start who she is in the Geronicus story. I mean, you figure it out, but I really like stories or movies that are like The Princess Bride, Mm -hmm. where there's a narrator that's like an adult reading to a child. I just think that's a great way to frame a movie. 
I think it was missing like the snappy interspersed moments with Felicia Rashad and her grandchildren because you only see them at the beginning and the end. But mm-hmm. instead of doing that, what you do get in the middle are these beautiful images from the inside of the storybook that Felicia Rashad is reading. So the storybook has like all these cogs on the cover. And when she opens it, it's like it's a it's more of a mechanism than a traditional book. So then throughout the movie, you get images that are kind of like puppetry, but then you see that they're all ultimately controlled by this clockwork design. It was really beautiful. I like that quite a bit. It was a lot like the pop-up book in Paddington 2. I totally forgot that, but yes. Yeah, and so it's a live-action movie, but there are elements of animation that are really delightful. Agreed. I will say that I didn't love the opening. It's almost like you got, you have three stacks in time, right? You have Felicia mm-hmm. Rashad, who's with her grandchildren. And then the first stack on the inside of that is a flashback to a young Geronicus. And they have this first number where they're singing about how everything's looking great. Geronicus is this famous inventor, and he finally has the thing he needs to like take his career to the next level. That scene just didn't hit with me. And I was honestly a little worried about the rest of the movie after watching that. It all turned around when then we jumped in time again to when we had an older Geronicus and when his granddaughter Journey got into the story. Then I really got into it. But I was not a super fan of that first musical number. Oh, really? I liked it. And I liked that they didn't try to make Forrest Whitaker look young. They just had a younger actor play young Geronicus. Right. Do you have any thoughts on the cast and characters? There were so many famous people. Who stood out to you? Keegan-Michael Key was great. I thought Forrest Whitaker played Grumpy really well. Mm -hmm. Grumpy and absent-minded. He was great. Um, Felicia Rashad was great. I always loved to see her. She was a huge factor in my childhood television viewing because we liked the Cosby show. And I'm glad that she's still working. And I'm glad that Bill Cosby is in jail. (laughs) Um, Can we talk about the kids? They weren't famous to me. I didn't really recognize them. But the little boy who plays Edison. Oh, my gosh. Oh, his accent and his teeth. Oh, (laughs) the orthodontia bill. Oh my gosh, but he was so good. He was. So adorable. And Journey, who I think, they had a little an introducing tag in front of her name, so I imagine this was probably her first film role. She was fantastic. So She was really good. Yeah, a little powerhouse. Mm-hmm. Who, did, who stood out to you? I don't always love Forrest Whitaker, and when I saw that like he was the big-ticket headliner on this movie, I was... 99% sure that he wouldn't be able to sing. But he did great on his musical numbers. I was super impressed. I thought he was good. What did you think about the Amazon Prime driver and her unrequited crush on Geronicus? I actually took notes about this because I felt a little <laughs> icky about it at first. I didn't like her as a figure of fun. But the actress who was playing her, whose name I looked up, Lisa Davina Phillip, she played it to the hilt. Yeah, if the roles were reversed, if she had been the male and Geronicus had been the female, it would have been like a sexual harassment situation. Right. Super gross. 
I didn't like that plot line, but I did like her, the actress. Can we talk about how wrong I was when Key and Peele ended and Keegan-Michael Key focused on acting and Jordan Peele focused on directing and I was like, well, that's the last we'll see of that Jordan Peele guy, but Keegan-Michael Key will clearly be in everything now because it has so not worked out like that. You think Jordan Peele is a lot more famous than Keegan-Michael Key now? Don't you? Um, Yeah, I couldn't. I know that Keegan-Michael Key has been in other stuff but I can't name it yeah like he was in that failed was it a Netflix show that he did with Fred Savage that was really bad Ooh, that sounds like something I want to watch but no I haven't I don't know what I can name like Get Out and that other Jordan Peele movie (laughs) that looks too scary for me The Twilight Zone you know he's doing (laughs) stuff pretty much all I could think of when I was thinking about Keegan-Michael Key was that he was in Pitch Perfect (laughs) oh gosh yeah so, I mean, good to see that he's getting out there. I was really, I quite liked his performance. I managed to feel sympathetic for him for the most part. And he was the one actor who had to interact with the animated character, Don Juan, who's like, oh, yeah. That part is like a fable about the dangers of AI because this little toy, Don Juan, is just too cunning for. Keegan-Michael Key's character, Gustafson. I love that Keegan-Michael Key pulls it off, that his whole life could be controlled by a teeny tiny little puppet matador. (laughs) One really funny line that I had to write down, and at one point, Geronicus, played by Forrest Whitaker, says to his granddaughter, I have one egg. We could split it. (laughs) He's not the best grandfather. Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, because I have never pronounced her name out loud, but is it Annika Noni Rose or Anika Noni Rose? I have no idea, but she played... I said Annika, so I don't know. Can I just call her Princess Tiana? Because that's clearly how I think of her. Sure. (laughs) I think she was underused. She plays Journey's mother, and she really only comes in in like the last 30 minutes of what is quite a long movie. And she has a great... Music number, the duet with Geronica. Yes. Her voice is so good. Yeah, I would have liked to, this would just add length to the movie, but I would have liked to hear a little bit about what happened after Geronica like, made her leave home. So she was essentially like motherless, and then she got kicked out because he was just too depressed. And she's living in this beautiful, like, English cottage in the countryside, and she has this beautiful daughter I would have liked to find out more about how she ended up there exactly and it was already a long movie it was a a great movie but very long so I can see why they didn't include that but it also seems so central to Geronicus's journey which is going from being totally defeated because he was grieving for his wife to you know welcoming his family back into his life It Mm -hmm. felt kind of weird to not have his daughter be more of a presence, if only through her absence. Right. And I was surprised that she sent her daughter to go see him. I thought the two of them would have gone. And I think that might have answered some questions. The other, and spoilers, guys, but the other thing is at one point you see that the designs for the magical robot buddy are actually coming from jessica the daughter's journal Mm -hmm. and then that's never addressed it's just like oh geronicus is the great inventor 
and Jessica is there to help him. But did she maybe do Buddy in the first place? In which case, give her some credit. Right. (laughs) So Jessica underserved by the movie. Mm -hmm. What did you think about the look of the movie? I loved it so much. The costumes were so good. The plaids were so inventive. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And then, I mean, the, like the blocking and the choreography made it feel very much like a theater performance. Mm -hmm. Which now we know that the writer and director was very involved in the theater world. That makes sense. Yeah. Like this seems like it could easily be adapted into a Broadway Mm -hmm. type show what did you think I loved because even though it takes place in an imaginary world it has kind of those steampunk elements yeah the the cogs and the clockwork everything but usually when you think about steampunkiness it has this steampunkiness when you think about steampunk it has this kind of gray dingy overtone to it so they took that idea and they added this color palette that was just so vibrant and wonderful I really loved it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I know you want to get to this talk to me about the music I liked it I thought that the songs were original they were I mean the, the, the actors were really good again it was very Broadway in a good way mm-hmm. that song when Jessica is going back home I can't think of the name of it but I it think was it was like, called make it work yeah that was really fun I liked that one a lot I loved that one too and the choreography they had going on in the background during that song and it was a duet in two parts so Geronicus is in his workshop while Jessica is doing her traveling it was really beautiful that was a standout and for it sure was, it was kind of like a Lana Del Rey song like it was super repetitive which the way it was arranged just builds upon the intensity of it. I also really like Journey Solo, which now Turnabout is fair play because I didn't write down the name. It was like, is it all possible? It's unpossible? Or possible was somehow involved in the title. But it was her like big, the sun will come out tomorrow kind of number. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was great and really, you know, plucky. Mm-hmm. The Amazon Prime driver, Miss Johnston, sings a song <laughs> called You'll Feel Better When You Smile to Geronicus, and three magical backup dancers just appear, and <laughs> they are just so great. They're joining in on the harmonies, making the song so much fun, and then also doing this incredible dancing. I just, I can't say enough good stuff about the choreography. I liked the songs. I didn't think any of them were necessarily earworms because I couldn't hum to you any of the melodies. But the dancing was amazing. And I looked up the choreographer, um, and it turns out it was Ashley Wallen, who also worked on The Greatest Showman. And if you think about some of that choreography from the Make It Work number, like the background ensemble choreography, I feel like you can see some of that same DNA there. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, I'm done. Go ahead. What adult movie or TV show does this compare to? This was hard, right? Because Christmas movies are so much about the magic. and That's so rarely something that happens in grown-up movies, except for, of course, Lifetime Christmas romances, right? Um, I compared it to a bunch, 
that are not Christmas movies, except so there's a theater in Minneapolis called the Guthrie, and they put on an annual production of A Christmas Carol. Uh-huh. And the set and costumes of those shows reminded me a lot of the set and costumes in Jingle Jangle. Mm-hmm. The kind of vaguely Dickensian costumes. I can see that for sure. Yeah. The dancing reminded me a little bit of Beyonce's Coachella performance. <laughs> it also reminded me a bit of Back to the Future, just because it's about an inventor, an mm-hmm. eccentric inventor. And then, didn't Buddy 3000 look like E.T. to you? Yes! I There were definitely some E.T. elements. And then also, do you remember the movie from our youth, Short Circuit? Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did compare it to one grown-up movie that was more about uh, rivalry between two people who are good at their jobs. Did you ever see the Christopher Nolan movie, The Prestige? No. Oh my gosh, Deborah, it's it's a good movie. I know Christopher Nolan can be kind of take or leave, but The Prestige is a story about two rival magicians and essentially how like one of their lives is completely consumed with trying to figure out how the other does this very famous trick so it's Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale and it's it's good it's great I would recommend it highly and that kind of reminded me of the dynamic between Geronicus and Gustafson because Gustafson is so consumed by his desire to be as good as Geronicus whereas Geronicus gives him very little thought (laughs) Right. (laughs) Did you cast the gritty HBO reboot? This was hard, right? Yeah, because it's like the cast was perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And I guess I just in no way want a gritty HBO reboot of this. Like the thing that I loved about it was the joy. Yeah. So I came up with some options, but I'm not super enthusiastic about it. I think Zendaya could be Journey Mm -hmm. uh, because she's beautiful and mopey. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Kenneth Williams from The Wire could be Gustafson because he he can do Sinister quite well. Yeah, that's good. Geronicus was really hard. I thought maybe Don Cheadle. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. That was the hardest one for me to cast. How about you? I didn't get very far. I would like to see Fred Savage in the role of reading to the kids as sort of a... Aww update and play on the princess bride because he plays the little boy in that i like that um, i would also like to see tawny newsome she co-hosts one of my favorite podcasts yo is this racist but she's also like a pretty famous actress mm-hmm. i guess she was on i haven't watched this the steve corral space force Ooh, i show. haven't watched it yet either and she's like a musician she's in a band she's a singer so Maybe I would cast her in the role of Jessica. Okay. But I didn't get very far with this because it's such a good movie. I don't know how we could make it better. Because this, it's not just for kids. Like, I would recommend it to adults as well. Yeah. watching alone voluntarily. For sure. If you have any fondness for musicals, like, this is a great movie musical. And that answers... Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? But let's talk about was it better when we were kids? Where do you fall with Christmas musicals? I don't know why I had such a hard time even coming up with musicals about Christmas. We were never a big white Christmas watching family growing up. How about you? My mom really liked White Christmas. So I've seen that a bunch of times, actually. 
Can you think of other Christmas time musicals? Not off the top of my head, no. The only one I could remember watching, and I think I watched it quite frequently, was this TV movie from 1986 starring Drew Barrymore oh. and, and Keanu Reeves Oh, called Babes in Toyland. And it was probably horrible, but I guess my like musical-loving self as a child was just really hungry for a Christmas musical, so I watched it a lot, and this is undoubtedly undoubtedly better than that that wild drew barrymore so child drew barrymore uh-huh. of course. huh and then keanu reeves is like the romantic lead not paired with drew barrymore obviously because she is a child <laughs> i'm gonna say it wasn't better when we were kids because there were no like all black cast movies intended for like a mainstream audience yes a thousand times yes And it also is a movie that's not, like, being black doesn't really matter. It's just that these actors are really good actors and dancers and singers. Right. I will agree with you there. The diversity was definitely something that we did not have growing up. Mm -hmm. So 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids? Since I enjoyed it so much, I would say, yeah, it's great for kids. My kids are a little on the young side to sit through it because... As we said before, it is long, and there are parts in which it feels long. So I would say, actually, you're better positioned to say what age you think would be the best to start watching this. Did you watch it with your kids? I tried, and they wanted to watch The Incredibles 2 instead. <laughs> so I was like, fine. But now that I've seen it, I'm going to force it upon them this coming weekend. And... I think it's good for kids. I think you're right. Your kids are probably a little bit young to sit through a two hour long movie with kind of a complicated plot. Mm -hmm. But I think my kids who are more school age are prime for it. Yes. So good for kids. Just keep an eye on their attention spans, I guess. Mm -hmm. And you could break it up. You could make it a two night experience and watch an hour each night. Yeah, I had to watch it in like 15-minute increments over the past two weeks just because I didn't have a lot of dedicated time to do it. That was not ideal, but you could do it. It's it's doable. Yeah. <laughs> Rating? Five. I'm going to give it a 4.75, docking off that quarter of a 0.4 length. Oh, that's a really good point. That's... That's a good thing to knock off. Also, you can knock off that quarter of a point for not featuring Jessica and not connecting those threads to the plot. So I respect it. Yeah, it it was so good, though. Mm -hmm. Watch it, guys. I know it's December 23rd when this episode drops. You got two days till Christmas. And I mean, the plot is kind of so tangential to Christmas that you could watch it any time of year. Really beautiful. Yeah, that's right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can even find us on Gmail at myscreentime2. Please send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. 
Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Screen time.